I went into the doctor's office and they took me back in the room to listen to the heartbeat and there wasn't a heartbeat. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. Today I am talking to one of my best friends. I met her in high school and she has always been such a positive influence in my life and so I'm really excited to bring her on today's show. And it's interesting that none of us get through life unscathed. My friend has had seven miscarriages and had one stillborn baby and so she has struggled with that but she's also been blessed with, how many children do you have? (laughs) It's a complicated question, isn't it? (laughs) Currently raising nine children. Nine children. So she was blessed with nine. Some have been adopted. Two of them. Two have been adopted. And so we're going to talk a little bit about grief and uh, miscarriages and the healing process that comes with time today. So I'm introducing you to my friend, Shanna Johnson. Are you ready to share your story of hope? Yes, I am. Awesome. (laughs) Good. Well, let's get going. So let's back up and have you talk a little bit about this process of going full term with a baby, 38 weeks along, Mm -hmm. and then suddenly finding out there's no heartbeat. Why don't you take us to that moment and kind of share with us what that was like? I woke up in the morning and I usually every morning I would press on my tummy and sort of like push on the baby a little bit to get the baby awake, get mm-hmm. the baby moving, and I'd be like, good morning, you know, and just mm-hmm. sort of get the baby up in the room, feel some kicks and movements and stuff. And But this time when I pushed on my tummy, I didn't feel anything back and the baby was really still. And it was Valentine's weekend, so I got the kids up and got them ready and got them out the door with all the little Valentine cards to go to school and, mm-hmm. and all that. And then I called the doctor's office and I booked to appointment to come in. And I just felt uneasy and I just, I felt like something was different. Mm-hmm. Like it always feels such a strong presence of this baby spirit with me and I just wasn't feeling that same feeling and so I went into the doctor's office and they took me back in the room to listen to the heartbeat and there wasn't a heartbeat and the so they immediately took me in to do an ultrasound Mm -hmm. to double check and I've been at this office for quite a while and they know me really well and the lady that does the ultrasounds, I'm really good friends with her. Mm-hmm. And I heard her out in the hall. And when they were talking to her, I heard whispering. And then they, and she said, who is it? And they said, Shanna. And then I just heard her say, oh, no, not Shanna. No. Not Shanna. 
And then she just put this courageous face on and came in the room and, and she's like, let's just check everything out. Let's see what's going on. And, and then she did the ultrasound and there was no heartbeat. And the doctor just wrapped her arms around me and just held me in her arms. And I just started crying and we all just started crying. And they took me to a room with a, like, a little lounger chair in it. And it was dark, quiet, and they immediately started calling family to come be with me, and they put me in that room so I could be by myself and mm-hmm. just um, have some quiet time until I could get family there to be with me. And um, I was just in shock. I couldn't believe it. I just... What were some of the thoughts that you were thinking at that point? Um, this can't be real. How can this be? I just felt her moving last night. I'd just gone the night before to visit my sister-in-law in the hospital because she just had her baby. And I was holding her baby in my arms. And her baby was pressing down a little bit on my tummy because I was holding her. And the weight of her baby was pushing on my tummy. And my baby, Cosette, was kicking her. Oh, so I felt my baby kicking while I was holding this other baby. And so I was like, how could this be? What happened? All I did was go to bed. I came home, I went to bed. What What happened? Like, this right. can't be real. Maybe it's not right. Something must be wrong, you know. And, uh, but it wasn't. And my family, my mom and my dad and my husband immediately came. And um, we went back to my parents' house and I got a blessing. And um, for my dad and my husband and it was very comforting, but I was still very sad. I I felt like the thought that just kept coming to my mind is I just want my baby back. I just want her back. I just I don't want this to be real. And um, I I didn't know how we were going to tell the kids because yeah. everybody was so excited. Like, yeah, any day, were, right? Yeah, it was like this baby's coming any day. They would come to my belly and talk to you know baby cozy they always all of them called her cozy and and we love you baby cozy you know things mm-hmm. like that and so um it's like it's like you're in this dream it's like you're in this situation and you don't want to be in it but there's no way out of it and right. you only have to you just have to keep moving forward you know because you still have to go and have the baby yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. And they couldn't get me in the hospital for a day or two. Like, they couldn't get me in that day. So right. So I had to wait. And so there's just, I don't know, there's just so much that you have to still go through. And they have to, the, this process that they have to induce you, they have to get your body to have the baby, and just the process of going through that and experiencing all that. and. It's just, it's just like while you're going through it, there's so much happening and that it doesn't feel real at first. It feels like you're walking through sort of this dream, at least for me it was. Right, absolutely. And I can see how that would be. It's probably part of the shock. I think it is. And denial. You just keep not wanting it to be real. Yeah. You know? Um, In fact, there was at one point when I was in the hospital and they were so good. My doctor's office, they actually called the hospital and requested 
a specific nurse for me that had also lost a baby. Oh, sweet. And so she she took care of me the whole time. And she was so tender and so sensitive to everything with my needs and stuff. And um, at one point when my body started contracting a lot, I thought I felt the baby move and kick. Mm-hmm. But it was actually just my muscles of my body pressing sure. and the baby's body pressing back. But in my mind, it was like, oh my gosh. She's alive. She's something's like, you guys need to recheck, like mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And it was my nurse was able to immediately explain, no, Shanna, this is what's going on. I felt this also, you know, and, and like keep just, I don't know. She was able to help, help me to keep my mind in the right place and not get worked up or not get, you know, I don't know. It was, and then like she was sensitive to the fact that there was no heartbeat monitor going. Mm -hmm. And so, um, one of my friends that had also lost a baby came to the hospital with me and she brought a CD with some really pretty soft music and they played that in the background so that it wasn't so quiet in the room. Right. That makes um, sense. When I actually had the baby, they kept the lights down for me mm-hmm. and they made it more of a quiet atmosphere so that it wasn't so stark and, you know, um, my nurse immediately took the baby and cleaned the baby up and put a diaper on her and put the cute little hospital hat on her, wrapped her in a blanket, mm-hmm. and then they brought her to me so I could hold her. That's sweet. And have some time with her. Because uh-huh. since she was full term, she just looked like a sleeping baby in my arms. Like she looked like all my other kids and like, you know, like with perfect full little lips, perfect button nose, perfect like little fingers and toes, you know, just, mm-hmm. um, so that was good for me. I needed that time with her. Sure. So it's really interesting. People are so loving and tender, and I think that really helps you through these times. One of my friends that lost a baby also, she had a, a stillborn baby. Her mother made a blanket that had angels on it. Oh, how sweet. She stayed up all night, and they brought that blanket into me, and that's the blanket that we ended up burying her with. Um, after I had the baby, I was really tired and I fell asleep for a bit. And my friend that had lost a baby, she sat in the rocking chair next to my bed singing lullabies and just holding my baby, even though she was passed on. And I think she did that from a place of love. And it was like, cause she'd lost a baby too. And she, what, what does a mother want to do? Right. They want to hold and love on their baby. And just because there's a loss there doesn't mean you don't still have those maternal feelings of wanting, you know, to show and express that love. And I think it was an act of love to me, you know, to yeah. like show me that this was real and this was a loss and this was a real baby, mm-hmm. a real, you know, child of mine that I was having to let go of and because sometimes people that haven't lost a baby before that was stillborn they try to make you feel like your baby wasn't real they try to discount the child because they never took a breath right and so 
they try to treat this baby that you are holding or that you got to hold in your arms as a, as a miscarriage. Mm. And it's very different. It's right. not a miscarriage. Right. It's a child that you're holding, even though the spirit isn't in the body. There was still a body that was developed, and there was a spirit in that body. Mm-hmm. And I felt that spirit with me when she was inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I knew her just as well as if I was holding her in my arms. I held her in my body, in my mm-hmm. room, and I knew her. And so it didn't lessen that loss, right. the fact that she didn't take a breath. And I think sometimes people try to lessen it and try to discount it. So maybe that's one of the lessons we can learn is when you know someone who's experienced a miscarriage, or not a or, miscarriage, or a stillborn, or a miscarriage, yeah, there's still one. a loss there. There is a loss, and don't discount that. Different people experience it different ways, and maybe tread very lightly. Yeah. Be very sensitive. It that, sounds like you had a that good this is a real life. human being that was part of my life mm-hmm. that now is gone. Yes. And even though she didn't take a breath, she still was real to me and everybody. We I saw all the ultrasounds with her in it. You know what I mean? Yes. I saw her sucking her thumb in an ultrasound mm-hmm. and and I felt her kicks and her movements and I played with her every morning, waking her up. I had a relationship with this little human being. And now she's gone. And I think people need to realize that that especially the mother who carries that baby has a relationship with that child. And so here you were in this dreamlike state, and now you had to make decisions. Yes. Lots of decisions are required. Why don't you walk us through some of those decisions? So once you – I want to take you through one more step. Yes, please. So at the hospital, they were wonderful. They brought in a, a photographer that specialized in taking pictures of babies and children at their loss or right before their loss. And it's called Now I Lay Me Down to Rest is the name of the organization. And they do this for free. And so we brought all of our children in. And the hospital has people that make little teeny baby dresses and baby clothes because Cosette was like only like around pounds even though she was she's I don't think she was getting nutrients through the most of the pregnancy so when she was born she was very small mm-hmm. and so we dressed her in a little teeny white dress with a little cute little white bonnet and we they advised the social worker as well advised us bring our family in and our children to come in and say goodbye which was a beautiful experience all the kids got to come in and hold their baby sister and kiss her little cheeks and touch her little hand. And we got to get some pictures. And I have a beautiful picture of her in my home of her in her little white dress with her little bonnet. And and um, it made it so that they got to say goodbye. And there, there's a, a type of a, a sense of closure that comes with that. Whereas if it would have just been, there was something in mommy's tummy and now that is gone. You know, it was supposed yeah. to be my sibling, but now they're gone, and the only thing they see is a coffin. That could be really traumatic yeah. for the kids, especially. And so they needed to have that time, and, and I think I needed that too, and our family needed that, which was beautiful. Mm-hmm. But And then they have you, at the hospital, you turn your baby over to the mortuary that's going to take over. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so my husband had that experience. I didn't, 
they didn't want me to experience that. Right. So my last memory is just sitting in the chair, rocking her and holding her, wrapped in her blanket. And then my husband and my dad took her for my arms. And my last experience was watching them walk out the door. And that was probably one of the lowest points for me. It was just letting go of her, because that was like my last connection to her was holding her. Because yeah. I still had a piece of her, right? Mm-hmm. Her little body, her little... I could look at her little fingers and touch her little toes and touch her little nose and put my fingers in her little hair. She had this curly blonde hair. And so now this last part was being taken and I was having to say goodbye. And so then my husband takes her and they have a separate room set up and they have like a teeny little coffin and that's what you put your baby in, and they take your baby away in that. And they, my husband said that was the hardest moment of his life, was laying his daughter in that coffin and putting the little blanket over her and then having to turn and walk away. He said he actually fell to his knees and just sobbed over her coffin because he felt like dads are supposed to protect their babies and their children and their family, and he failed. He felt like he failed because he didn't protect her and I, and that somehow he was supposed to make sure she got here okay. And and he said, and how do you leave and walk away from your child? How do you walk away from the coffin that your little child is laying in? It broke his heart. And I think that was his lowest moment for him. And so, so then you go home empty. Like, usually when you leave the hospital, it's this happy moment. You're leaving with the baby in your arms, and they're pushing you out Uh in the wheelchair with all the bags and baby gifts that people bring. And it's not like that when you have a stillborn baby. They just, you gather your stuff up, and you leave empty, quiet, solemn. And so you, you just go load up, and you head home. And then at that point, you get home, and then, like you said, there's all these decisions that have to be made. So you just barely get home, and now it's you need to decide where, what cemetery are you going to bury your child in, what what is the program going to be, are you going to do a funeral, are you going to do a graveside service, who's going to, like, what songs, who's going to say the prayer, who's going to dedicate the grave, Flowers need to be ordered. You know, like all these decisions have to be made. And so at this point, I felt so strongly that this had to be me. I had to do this because, as a mother, I this was the last act of service that I could do for my daughter was to prepare her graveside service. We decided to go with the graveside service. Was to plan this and prepare this, and. I wanted it to be just right, and I didn't want any regrets. And so I was up in my bedroom, and I was just crying. I was just crying. I was just sitting in my bed, and I was just crying. There was this blanket that I was holding. It was the blanket that they had wrapped her in at the hospital. We had two separate blankets, one that we buried her in and this other white one that they wrapped her in, and it smelled like her. Oh. It smelled like the shampoo and the baby lotion that they had put and washed her with and stuff. And I just was holding it and smelling this blanket and just holding it. And I was just crying and crying. And I 
couldn't make any decisions. And my husband was calling me saying, honey, the, the bishop needs to know what are we going to do for the program? What day do you want it on? When, you know, sure. all these things. And I hung up and I, I was sitting there and all of a sudden the words from a scripture came in my mind. And it's from the 46th Psalm, uh, verse 10. And it said, be still and know that I am God. And there was this, it was the softest, most tender, loving voice in my mind. I don't know how to explain it beyond that, but if you could picture a father who loves you in your most saddest, deepest moment of despair, reaching to you and just wanting to comfort you, that is what it felt like. And this warmth and this stillness came in the room, and I just felt my soul and my spirit felt still, and I felt at peace. And then the words of a song came to me, and the song is Be Still My Soul. And I felt so strongly that we were supposed to have this song sung at our, at our daughter's funeral, at her graveside service. And I wanted to share the words for the song. Yes, please. The third verse. And it says, Be still my soul, the hour is hastening on, when we shall be forever with the Lord, when disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrows forgotten, love's purest joy restored. Be still my soul, when change and tears are past, all safe and blessed we shall meet at last. And I felt like at that moment, the Heavenly Father brought that song to my mind so that I would look up the words and I would consider it for her grace I service so that I could be comforted through these words and the things that stood out to me the most in this was the part that talks about disappointment grief and fear of God and then sorrows forgotten love's pure joy restored when I hold my babies in my arms I feel like they are the purest joy they're so pure and clean from heaven and so sweet and innocent that that is truly love's purest joy. And so here I am in sorrow, missing my daughter, wanting this purest joy back in my life. And I am being told in this song that it will be restored to me. And then at the end, the last words, we shall meet at last. I felt like that Heavenly Father was saying to me that me and Cosette will be reunited and that we'd be in heaven again with him and with her, and that my tears will be gone, Yeah. and that I would have joy again, and that I would be back with her. And that was just so sweet. It gave you hope. Yeah, in a moment where I was just feeling so lost and so confused and alone and broken. Yes. It was like a tender mercy reaching to me from heaven, giving me peace and giving me hope. And it was just so sweet and tender for that song to be sung at her graveside service. And so also because of that, on her graveside marker, uh -huh. we put Be Still My Soul. Oh, how sweet. As one of the things that is on her marker, along with her picture and her name. That is a very sweet story. 
And it's good to know that when we are at our lowest, that God can be there with us. Yes. And bring us comfort that really nobody else can, right? Yeah. <laughs> when, when no one else can comfort us, God can reach in and touch our hearts and bring us peace. And that's such a blessing to know that he can be with us at any time, at any place, no matter how discouraged you get. Yeah, and I think for me, I'm a person that my soul needs peace. I'm a, I'm a quieter, more peaceful person, and I was feeling so anxious and so sad and so broken, and I think he was helping me to know to be still and just listen and to feel for a moment and let his love in. Yeah, that makes sense. So that I could have that quietness again and that stillness but it didn't come easily. No. <laughs> Gosh dang it. I know. We want to get back to that piece like right away. No. But why don't you talk us through that process of the grieving process? That it doesn't just no. happen like so, you blink your eyes and the next week you're good. At first, at first when you lose some, at least I don't know, at least my experience. My experience at first, I felt like I literally was being held in my Heavenly Father's arms or in my Savior's arms. I was being held up. And, um, but then as time goes on, you have to hit some of the other stages of grief. And I could feel myself having to move forward in out of the shock and the denial. But in, And I was feeling more feelings of like, I just want her back. The woulda, coulda, shouldas. Like, all these experiences we aren't going to have now. You know, I'm not going to get to plan her baby blessing or her first birthday party or when she goes and gets baptized and all these experiences we weren't going to have. And I was, I was grieving the loss of what I wished I could have still had with her. Yes. And I moved forward in, and I read a lot of books and I, um, I even at, after the year mark, of her loss because she was born on February 15th, 2009. Um, after that year mark, I decided to go to a six week, six to eight week like workshop through that was offered through the um, cemetery where we built her. They have like a mortuary services and things like that. They offered a six week course and I went to that. And it was a course specifically for, for people, people that were grieving. grieving. And I wasn't ready to do something like that before I got through the year mark. It's almost like I had to, I had to let t some time go by, and I had to let myself just experience some of the emotions first. Yeah. Before I was willing to face and talk about and and face some things, so. I, I signed up with my mom. She went to it too, and I went to it. And um, I got put in a group with, um, there was four of us in our group, and we'd all had losses. Uh -huh. And um, they gave us a book, and we would read from the book each week, and we would journal. And then we would come back, and they would do like a little lesson about a stage of grief. They would talk about different stages of grief and different things you're going to experience and different emotions you're going to have. and what things people should say or shouldn't say and different things that, you know. And then we would, 
after we would have the, they would have that discussion part, then they would break us into our group with our, the other people at our table, and we would talk about the things we had read that week and the journaling we had done. And that was really good for me because it was it made me realize that some of the things I was thinking in my head and feeling in my heart was it was normal. Give me an example of that. Well, like one of the things that I went through, or some of the physical things I experienced. One of the things is, I don't know why, but after Cosette died, I had a hard time sleeping. Interesting. So I would stay up at night watching shows, but then I would be tired the next day. It was like my sleeping patterns were off. I found out that that's normal. Interesting. Um, I, I pulled into myself. It was hard for me to be around people and hear them talk about everyday things or complain. Like if someone was complaining about their husband or their kids or little everyday things, it just seemed so trivial. I couldn't relate. I couldn't relate to everyday. Because you were coming from such I a place of grief. Because I was in such a place of so much deep pain that was so much more intense that it was hard to relate. And so I would just sit there and it was almost like I would I was watching everything outside of me. I was there in the moment at lunch with everybody, but I always felt like I was watching it from outside. What does that make sense? Kind of from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. You weren't engaging. Probably, yeah. it, I would call it maybe living with grief. I yeah, it was just, and so like to understand that these people that I was sitting at the table with were experiencing some of those same ex experiences where right. they were having a hard time relating to everyday conversations and experiences with people or they were some of like they were having different like they say that when you're going through the grieving process you'll have different things you turn to for comfort oh like comfort things like for me it was chocolate I was all of a sudden eating chocolate all the time yeah. other people chocolate and, is a good thing <laughs> yeah I mean <laughs> other people maybe it's exercise or uh -huh. if people have addictions they could turn to drugs or alcohol or sure. you know like it's just different things that you'll do as outlets to try to escape maybe you don't want to feel the emotion so maybe you'll start reading I started reading lots of books right because then I could feel the emotion of what was going on in the book and not I didn't want to feel what I was feeling that or I watch shows but I couldn't watch anything about anyone dying or hospitals or children. It was it had to be. I watched a lot of comedy because yeah. I was trying to feel something besides grief. I didn't want to feel sad. I wanted to feel. I wanted to laugh. Or yes, you know what I mean. Yeah. So I turned to that kind of stuff. Um, when did people start that class? Did it depend on the person? It just person? depended. Some people jumped in right away, uh -huh. and they wanted they would start them within weeks of their loss of their loved one. Other people would wait months. For me, I needed to wait a year. I don't know why the year mark. I just felt stronger, and like I was in a place where I was willing to now open up and share. I'm sort of a more of a private. I, I hold things in a little bit, so maybe that's why I was at that point willing to delve into some of those emotions. Right. Um, but one of my favorite things about the, the class was you go through this whole process, you're journaling during all of it, you're understanding yourself, you're understanding grief, you're relating to other people that are that have also experienced loss, so you don't feel so alone anymore. That's good. At, at times we would be talking and they like we would even laugh. And I would be sitting there thinking, how are we here talking and we're laughing? Uh -huh. But yet we're we're, we're 
we've been brought together because of loss. Right. And we're not crying. Yeah. You know, we're, and it was nice to talk about your loved one. I think sometimes people don't want to talk about your loved, like, no, like people didn't want to talk about Cosette with me because they thought it was going to make me sad, but I wanted to talk about her at that point because I didn't want to forget her. I didn't want to let go of that she was real to me. Mm-hmm. And a lot, especially with stillborn babies, people want to pretend like they, that it wasn't well, really. You could, oh, you could just go have another baby, mm-hmm. they would say. Well, just get pregnant. Don't say that, right? <laughs> Don't say that to someone. You can just go get pregnant and have another baby. Well, no, that discounts that they were a real living human being that you right. loved. You know? yeah. um, so it was neat to have those experiences. And then at the end of it, the, it culminated, the, the last thing you were supposed to do was write a letter to your loved one. And then go read it privately. You were to pick a time and go read it by their graveside. Ah, sweet. And it was the most, it was such a spiritual, sweet experience for me. Because for me, it was an experience of a mother expressing her love to her daughter, but yet also expressing the woulda, coulda, should is Like, mm-hmm. I'm sad that I'm not going to get to have this and this and this experience with you. You know, I'm not going to get to go pick out wedding dresses with you. Right. I'm not going to get to go to, to get to do your hair for prom. Uh-huh. You know, all these things that I got to express to her that I wanted so much to do with her. These experiences I wanted to have with her that a mother shares with a daughter mm-hmm. that she just love, you know. And... But letting go of that, and then in my letter, I acknowledged that I needed to let go of her because that was a selfless thing for me to do, was to acknowledge that she had a path and that I had a path and that our paths were supposed to be separate right now, Mm -hmm. but that we would get to come together again someday. But by wanting her here with me, it was almost denying her path. And I, as a mother, I couldn't do that. If I really, truly loved her, I would want what's best for her. And if what was best for her was to take a different path and be able to go right to heaven yeah, and be with her Savior and her Father in heaven and have other experiences and other things that she was going to do, then that was what I needed to acknowledge and that I needed to be okay letting go of her. And so it was a letting go letter for me, too. And letting being okay with the fact that she was in heaven and I was here, and it was really healing, and it was so beautiful to do that. That is awesome. Very beautiful. So some of the lessons learned were find people that have also experienced grief and talk to them, give you an outlet, and then maybe for people who are from the outside looking in and have a loved one who's grieving, it takes time and it's different for everybody. Be patient. Be patient. There's no timelines. Yeah, no timelines here. Um, and then the writing process, it seemed to be a very healing process for you, writing about your grief or find. We'll put links to the book workbook that Shanna used um, on her show notes and some of the other books that she found um, very beneficial to read at this time of loss so that you can find those for yourself or others too so be patient and and uh, so those are really good lessons to learn thank you for sharing those we are going to take a quick break but when we come back we'll have shanna share with us 
what happened when she got pregnant after Cosette was a stillborn baby. And we will also have her share with us the second letter she ended up writing to God and why that changed everything. So stay tuned. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The diagnosis survival guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I'm interviewing Shanna Johnson about her recovery from grief after she had a stillborn baby. And now we're to the point where she got pregnant again. Yes. <laughs> so now we're moving forward. I've been through this grieving process. I went through this seminar with all these, this slash workshop with other people that have had loss. And surprise, we're pregnant. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so... Um, when you go through the grieving process and you lose a baby, one of the things in the books that I read about loss, and especially loss of a, of a child, is that they call, if you decide to have another child after you lost a child, they call that baby the rainbow baby. And the reason they call that baby the rainbow baby is because they say that going through the loss of a child is like a storm. You're in the heat of this storm. Right. And then that baby that comes later can also be part of that healing process and that can be the rainbow after the storm. That is a sweet way to And I think that. it's such a beautiful analogy. So I was so excited because here we are going to have our little rainbow baby and um, move forward in another step of the healing process. Um, and I want to say some people do decide not to have more children after they've had a loss or are stillborn or a baby that passes very young. And that's just a choice that each person has to make. Some people, for some people, it's too scary. Yeah. You know, because that fear, and it was really scary for me. Mm -hmm. It was very scary to decide to put myself in a situation because they didn't know why my baby died. Mm -hmm. There was a knot in the vocal cord, but they can't, they don't know conclusively that that's what caused her to pass away. So, me moving forward, since I'd already had six miscarriages and now a stillborn baby, I had to go into it knowing that I could be going through this again, that I could be either miscarrying or having another stillborn baby, and that was scary for me. I'm sure it was. And so it, it took a lot of soul-searching and a lot of 
prayer to decide to, to take that step to move forward. And I, and I just want to say that it's not, that step isn't what is right for everybody. Sure. And that's okay. But that's what I felt I needed to do. I was, I felt like we were supposed to have more children. And so I had to have faith and hope and just move forward. And so we did and we got pregnant and we're excited and we're moving forward. And then unfortunately we ended up losing that baby. This was my seventh miscarriage. And, and this was not in the first trimester. This was in the second trimester, yes, right? I was just past that first trimester. I was just to the point where we were going to find out the sex of the baby. I always felt inside it was a baby boy. Uh-huh. Um, we had picked out a name for the baby. We were going to name him Stetson. Um, it was really hard for me because it brought back all of the sadness and grief and emotion from losing Cosette. I feel like I almost went back into the stages of loss again, like the grief stages. Yeah. Um, and I think I just jumped right into the anger stage. <laughs> I hate to say it, but at this point... We're going to be real. <laughs> I, I'm a real person, and I'm just going to say I was upset. I felt like, Heavenly Father, wait a minute, how can you do this to me? Mm-hmm. Like, don't kick me when I'm already down. I'm barely getting up here. I'm barely picking myself up, and I'm barely, like, moving forward. And it's like, kick me when I'm down, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was just devastated, so broken and so devastated, and almost just, like, in shock. Like, no, this can't be happening. You can't. This was my rainbow baby. I remember I was just sitting at home and, uh, our bishop came to visit us, and he came in and was talking to my husband and I. And he just looked at me and he said, "Shanna, what can I do to help you? What What do you need right now?" And I didn't know. I was at a loss. I I didn't I didn't know what I needed at this point. Sure. I just I think I really was in shock and denial. I was like, "No, this isn't happening again." So he looked at me and he said, you know, I could help you with the spiritual side. Like, if you want to go through scriptures and, and, and with the spiritual side of healing. He said, but I am not qualified and I do not know how to help you through the stages of grief. And you are back here grieving again. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I would like to offer to find you a counselor and have you go to help you work through some of the grief that you're experiencing. Sure. And at first I didn't really want to do that because I felt like maybe I was failing. For mm-hmm. me, I felt like a failure. I felt like that Heavenly Father was sent me here to earth to be tried and tested and that here was my big test, right? Mm-hmm. That or one of my big tests. I don't know how many I'm going to have to go through in this life, but obviously quite a few. <laughs> and here was one of them, and that I was failing, that I wasn't having enough faith, I wasn't enduring enough, I wasn't having enough hope, and that I was failing. Mm-hmm. So I told him I would think about it, and then I finally decided, okay, I need to do something. Sure. I, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm feeling broken and lost and alone and I'm really stuck. So I said yes and he set me up with a counselor. And so I started going to the counselor and we would meet and I would talk and share. And then he would give me like assignments. Sort of like when I went through the 
class I went through, I would go home and have these little assignments, things to think about, scriptures to look up, things to ponder about, you know, different things to do, and then come back, and then I would meet with them a couple weeks later, and we would talk and discuss, and so on and so forth. And at one point in my journey of healing, my counselor asked me to write a letter to my Heavenly Father, write a letter to God, yeah, talking about what I'd been through with all of my losses. He wanted me to go back and talk about all of it, all seven miscarriages and my sober baby Cosette. He wanted me to go through all of it and write it in a notebook and then bring it back. And so I did. I went home and I just started writing and writing and writing. And was that easy to write or hard to write? It was both. It was it was emotional. It was it was I could only write so much and then I would have to take a break mm -hmm. because it would drop so much emotion inside of me. And I would just be sitting there writing and sobbing mm -hmm. and writing and sobbing because he wanted me to be really raw and really real and he wanted me to write how I was feeling. He wanted me to write about the anger, about the sadness, about the just the feelings of brokenness, the loss. He wanted me to describe the moments, like what it felt like to see her coffin for the first time. Sure. You know, what, like these moments in time that were so vivid in my, in my mind, and yet these emotions that were so strong, right, that were attached to each of these moments, these feelings. And so I did, and it was pages. Pages I'm sure. and pages, front and back of all this emotion and all this sadness and brokenness and fear and anger and um, loneliness. Um, and so I come back for my appointment, and it was really nice because since it was a counselor from my from my same religion, you know, uh -huh. my same beliefs, we would start with a prayer. That's and awesome. It was really nice. So we would start the session with a prayer and, um, and then it would just bring this peaceful, calm spirit into the room. And he looked at me and he said, okay, now what I want you to do, and he, he took a chair and he, he moved it in front of me. Uh -huh. He said, I want you to look at this chair and I want you now to get out your notebook and I want you to envision your Father in Heaven, or God, sitting here in this chair in front of you, and I want you to read what you wrote to your Father in Heaven, or to God. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I, I ain't struck down. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I cracked that joke to him. I said, uh-uh. I said, I'm going to get struck down by lightning. You don't understand what I put in this book right here. This is a book of anger and, like, frustration. And, yeah, no, this is not good. And he just was like, no. He said, Shannon, you're not that powerful. You could never do anything that or say anything that would make God give up on you or be mad at you. And I decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm, just, I'm gonna trust my counselor and I'm gonna do this. It's, it, it felt even a little awkward because here you are like pretending like Heavenly <laughs> Father or God is in the room with you, you right. know? But I was like, I'm gonna do this because I'm here to heal and I need to move forward and I need to. 
And I think what I needed to do is I needed to say out loud and I needed to hear myself saying out loud these things that seemed so awful and angry and just hurtful and mad and broken. I needed to hear it out loud, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did. I read the whole thing as if I was reading it to, to God. And then after, we just sat there in the quietness, because then it was just quiet once I was done reading it. And I'd been crying and reading and crying. And we just sat there, and it was just quiet in the room. And he asked me a question. He said, what do you feel right now? And I sat there really, really quiet. I just felt, I just, I just reached out with my heart and my soul and I just closed my eyes and I just felt, what am I feeling? What is in this room right now? What am I feeling? And all of a sudden, this warm encircled me. It was like a warm blanket wrapping around me. Mm -hmm. And I felt God's love so strong and so powerful. It just penetrated right into my heart and into my soul. I just felt this warmth and this love. And I just said, I said, I feel loved. I feel so loved right now. And then the counselor said that he felt it also. And he said, you're not alone. You did not fail a test. You are not a failure, and you are not alone, and your Heavenly Father loves you. You are not forgotten. You are not forsaken. He loves you. And I felt it, and we just sat there, and we just sat in that feeling for a while. And that was the day that everything changed for me. Mm. It was that feeling of love and knowing that no matter what I felt, no matter what I went through, no matter how broken I was, Heavenly Father still loved me. And He would never give up on me. And He would never let go of me. And no matter if I pushed Him away, I was at one point pushing Him away because I was so mad. He was still reaching out for me. And I just felt so loved. And that love penetrated me. And then from that point, I was able to let the Savior heal me. I was able to let the atonement really heal my heart. And I was really able to start moving forward. And it still took time. I mean, if I had to really give a time frame on my healing process from when she, when Cosette died mm -hmm. to then losing the baby after Cosette through the miscarriage and then getting through all that, I would say it was a three-year process before I really woke up one day and just was like, huh, I think I'm okay. I think I feel like a normal, I think I feel happy. I feel joy. I'm giggling again, and it's for real. I'm not pretending. I'm not going through the motions. I'm not in the room watching everybody else, wishing I was connecting. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at my children and they're doing something and I'm really laughing about it. I'm really giggling because they're cute and they're funny and I'm in the moment. 
and I was able to, and so that's one thing that I would say is don't ever put time frames on someone that's going through a loss or trying to heal because everybody's different. Maybe mine was longer, maybe it was shorter than other people. I don't know, mm -hmm. but and it's all these baby steps along the way and all these little things, but it was just the beginning of the healing for me and really truly letting the Savior take the pain and giving that pain away to Him and realizing that I didn't have to hold on to pain to hold on to Cosette mm -hmm. or, to, or to get through. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. I could give that pain to my Savior and still love Cosette and still have gone through this huge thing in my life. Right. But I could still also feel joy and feel happiness and move forward. And that wasn't forgetting anybody's memory. It wasn't betraying the loss. It wasn't letting go of the reality of the situation. It was just healing. It was okay to heal. It was okay to move forward. It was okay to feel love. It was okay to feel joy again. It was okay to be happy, right? And uh, so that was really neat. That was, and I think it's amazing how it was writing a letter to Cosette that helped me to heal from that and move forward and let go there. And then it was writing the letter to my father in heaven that helped me to let go of all the pain from the mis that most recent miscarriage all the way back through because I needed to heal all of it. Yeah, that's true. And that's what the counselor helped me do. He helped me face all of the loss. Interesting. Yeah. And it was through having others love that I was able to heal. And it's love. It is love. It always comes down to that. That's that awesome. We have to go back to the love and then let the Savior use the atonement. And that's what the atonement is too. Yeah. It's love. That Jesus is strong enough to bear that burden for us, but we got to let him take it, right? <laughs> we have to give it to him. We have to let go of it. We can't hold it. Yeah. You know, and we have to let him take it. Yeah. And that then, is awesome. And then you're free. You're free to feel that, but you can also feel the other side. It's the opposition of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I remember someone once explained it to me. It's like a pendulum. You know, swinging back and forth and the stronger the grief that you felt it swings back the other way and that's your capacity for love and joy as well yes and I've never thought about it that way before but I think you're right we have to experience both ends of the spectrum on those emotions and uh, realize that when we are in the depths of despair that's also now our capacity to feel love and joy and light and just cling to that hope oh, yeah. that you will get there again, right? <laughs> yeah, and sometimes when you're in it, it's hard to see that you'll never get to that good side again. You know, yeah. the place where you're having more love and joy, it's hard to see that. But the most wonderful thing that came out of all of that loss and all of that pain and all that brokenness was that I truly gained a testimony of our Savior's ability to heal those that are broken. Yeah. It's the broken, the his, the broken souls that he came here to heal. Yeah. Those with a broken heart and a contrite spirit are the ones that he came to heal, you know? And so it was through the brokenness that I found my relationship with my Savior. And I learned to trust him and my Father in heaven mm -hmm. and trust that even 
if I go through something so horrific and so hard and so painful, there's still a way to to be healed and there's still a way to back to love and to joy and to hope and to faith, but it's through the Savior. Yes. Because I couldn't do it. I, I read books and yeah. I did all these things, right? And I even went to the classes and each one of those things helped. They were they were a stepping stone, right? Yes. Because I never gave up. I never just gave up. I was always constantly trying to read books on healing or read books on grief or, you know, I was always trying. I was going to church. I was reading my scriptures. I was praying. I was fasting. I was going to the temple. And those were all stepping stones along the way. But in the end, it was through my Savior and through the atonement and through my Father and His love that I found true healing. And I think sometimes we have to just let go and give up our pride and our will, right? Mm -hmm. Our willfulness and say, thy will be done. Even if it means saying, thy will be done, yes, it's okay that you took my baby back to heaven. Yes, it's okay that I've had seven miscarriages. You know? Yeah. And that doesn't happen all at once. I love that yeah. you've also talked about being patient because it really does take time. And I remember feeling a lot of the same emotions that you were describing when I had one son and then later a second son diagnosed with autism. And you're talking about that grief coming back from the initial. Yes, it's like it all comes <laughs> It compounds almost. I'm like, what is this, God, right? So it's interesting that even though our situations were very different, that I had a lot of the same emotions that you experienced and shared. So. I think it's important. We know we're not alone in these feelings that we have and, and feeling broken and feeling angry with God at certain points. That is not a unique experience to you. There are others out there. Oh, yeah. And I think you mentioned to me also that one of the things that you have found that because of your situation, God has often put you in places where others who are going through a similar circumstance of yes. loss of a child where you've been able to then empathize and help others. Yes, so that leads me to an experience I had with my my husband. I wanted this to be over. I just wanted to be healed at one point. Just give me a blessing and just make it better. Like yeah. I just want to be, and so I asked my husband for a blessing and in the blessing, I was told that that's not how this works. <laughs> you don't just get to be like, okay, my father, I'm done with this trial. I'm done. I, I want to be healed now. I want to have faith, hope, and just move forward and be good, right? Yeah. No, that's not how it works. That I needed to go through these emotions. I needed to go through the depths of these emotions and feel them and experience them so that then I could help others. I could be that instrument or that help person or angel or whoever whatever it is the person that comes in because how do you how do you help someone if you don't empathize right I mean yeah. you can to some degree but when you felt what they felt to some degree or you've experienced loss or grief then you're able to look them in the eyes and, and really truly say I don't know what exactly you're going through but I felt some of these emotions also. I've been in these places, mm -hmm. you know. And sometimes for someone to be able to have someone that can just 
know and feel what they're feeling or felt what they felt can just be so healing. Because sometimes you don't even have to say any words. You can just give them a hug. Yeah. Just hold them. And they know that you've walked a similar path. Not their exact path, but a similar path. And that just brings comfort. And so that's what happened is I had that experience. I got this blessing that told me I needed to experience more of the grief and more of the pain and more of the depths of the emotions so that I can help others. And then later on, there's been multiple situations where someone has called and said, my sister's pregnant and she just found out that her baby's gonna die right after birth. It's only gonna live for a few hours. Please help me to know what to do to help my sister. Talk me through this. Help me to know what to say and what not to say. Help so what, to... what would you tell them at that point? Because that would be good advice for any of us to hear. Well, the, mo- the most important thing I tell people is be patient, like we said before. Uh-huh. Don't put time frames on their grief. Everyone grieves differently, and everyone's time frames are going to be different. Um, respect their boundaries. Reach to them, but don't push yourself in on someone that's grieving. Like, reach out to them, and if they reach back, then be there. Mm-hmm. Listen. But if they need some space and they just need some quiet time or they're not... Just respect that, but keep reaching. Don't give up on them, and don't get offended if they need some quiet time or a little space. Right. You know? Just keep checking in, because don't leave them alone. That's the big thing, is lots of times when people are in a place of grief or loss, they feel so alone, so then they isolate themselves more, mm-hmm. and they'll be alone. They'll like, sometimes that's good. It's good to be alone with your own thoughts and feelings. That's a great time to like pray, to meditate, to ponder, to receive love and inspiration and healing through the spirit right but other times it can be self-defeating if you're in a dark place yes where you're in a place of anger or bitterness or sadness and you're just repeating negative mantras in your mind right Mm -hmm. that's tools of of satan right and to isolate yourself and so so that's where i say reach out but don't press in but keep reaching letting them know i'm thinking of you my thoughts are with you my prayers are with you i love you Mm -hmm. you know and just Stop by, give them hugs, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and just don't ever say God needed your loved one more than you did. Yeah, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. (laughs) Or don't say to them, um, well, God did this because he knew you were strong enough to handle it. You're so strong. Mm -hmm. And that's why God gave you this trial. That is a bad thing too, huh? Yeah, that's not a good thing because you don't want to think that, God took your loved one away because he thought you were strong enough. Yeah. Because at that moment, you feel the most weak you've ever felt in your life and the most vulnerable you've ever felt in your life. And you're like, I'm not strong. Yeah. I'm weak and broken and vulnerable, and I can't handle this. No. This feels like a punishment. This feels that, no, this isn't because I'm strong. I don't want to hear that. Yeah. And I don't want to hear that (laughs) Heavenly Father needed them more than I. No, I needed my baby. Yeah. I needed my baby here with me. And I don't want to feel selfish for wanting my baby with me. Right. Right. So there's just things, or like, especially with a stillborn or a miscarriage, don't ever say, well, you could just go get pregnant again. You should just go have another baby. Yeah. You know, well, that discounts this pregnancy, that discounts that child, that love that you felt for that little human being. Yeah. That you loved. So 
That's really good advice. Thank you for sharing those tips. I'll, I'll be sure to write those up in the show notes so people can like check the box or say, okay, these are things I'm supposed to do and not supposed to do. And that's, that's good for those of us who are outside looking in to know these are these are good ideas. These are yeah, good tips. and there's lots of really good books out there that you can get. I know my mom, she got a book that was for people that have someone that's going through a loss that is grieving to help her understand from the person watching someone grieve, you know, awesome. to help. So when she saw me going through things, she would, I'd be like, because I'd call her and be like, Mom, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, why can't I sleep? Why Why yeah. can't I, why am I, you know, this way or that way? I have no motivation or I'm just this or that or I want to sleep all the time during the day or what, and she goes, she'd open her book. Oh, that's totally normal, Shanna. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading about it in this book. What's your, you're totally normal. And that was good to hear. That is I good needed to hear. to hear that I was normal, and I'm sure there's great websites out there, yeah, stuff that people can find. That but people awesome. need to hear when they're going through the grieving process that they're okay, and it's normal, and, and it's normal, normal to feel angry. I think that was one of the big things and that was my aha. Guilty, and not to beat yourself up. I think sometimes we think we're a bad person if we feel angry with God. <laughs> And yeah, then, I know. I felt that way too. And it's like, you're not a bad person. That's a normal feeling. And yeah. God sent you here to feel emotion. Yeah. And you need to feel that because if you don't feel that emotion, how are you supposed to feel the other emotion? Yeah, how can you get through the grieving process? It's just part of the process. And so I think sometimes people try to shut those emotions down and then they end up stuck and end up bitter. Yeah. And that was one thing I decided along the way is I was going to do whatever it took to get through the whole process because I did not want to end up a bitter person. I didn't want to be angry. I don't want to be bitter. Um, I And I also had so much to live for and so many people to keep living for. Yes. Like, li- and when I say that, I mean like living life. Yes. Like in a vibrant way. I had all my other children that needed a mom. Yeah. I couldn't be stuck in bitterness and grief and sadness and loss for Cosette and the other babies when I had babies that still needed a mama. Yeah. So I needed to keep living and find a place of, I wanted to get back to a vibrant, joyful life and be that joyful, vibrant mother for them. And I wanted to be able to be that wife for my husband. And I wanted to be that for me. Because there's so much goodness and so much to live for in this life. Yeah. And there's so much happiness to be found in the little things in the little moments but when you're caught in the grief it's hard to see it it's hard that's to true it. that's very true so. awesome also in the show notes if you would like to connect with shanna we will uh, give you a link to find her on facebook and are there any final thoughts or tips you'd like to share before we shut down um i would think i just want to go back to the love that would be the most important thing. When you feel lost, when you feel broken, when you feel alone, just whatever you can do to find your way back to your Father in Heaven and to feeling His love for you will open the doors to your Savior's love and that atonement and everything. So seek for that love and do whatever you can to find your way back to that. That's what changed it for me. That's what helped me. That's awesome. And that's what I would try to take to people. If someone's going through something, that's what I want them to feel. And that's what I would be praying. Is if I'm going to be an instrument in my Heavenly Father's hand, 
and I'm with someone. I had a friend that lost her husband. And she called me and she said, I need you now. Come. And I got on a plane and just went. Mm -hmm. My prayer the whole time I was with her was help me to help her feel her Father in Heaven and her Savior's love. Help me to be that instrument and just to have that presence around her that feeling. Mm. And look, look for the little tender moments like I had with the, that scripture, Be Still My Soul, mm -hmm. and that song. Look for those because they are there. Heavenly Father sends them. He sends people and he sends scriptures. He sends little moments. Look for them and then hang on to them. They'll get you to the next one. They're your little stepping stones to help you get through. Yeah. And that'll get you to the next moment. That will get you through to the next moment. And it's part of your healing process. Awesome. Those are beautiful parting words. Thank you for sharing that. So we need to look for God's hand in our lives and maybe write it down so that we don't forget. <laughs> and then uh, remember that God loves us. No matter what, no matter what emotions and bitterness or anger we feel, that uh, he still loves us. Those are powerful words to end on. Thank you for sharing this, Shanna. And everyone else, hope on, hang in there, and remember, God loves you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website, it is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you.